Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of soccer, the show of cachaca again. But today's show is really about coffee. This week turned out to have an interesting common thread. First on Monday with Nate from Avoir Cachaca, and today a wonderful conversation with Joel Schuler and Eric Wolf of Casa Brazil in Austin, Texas. They're importers, they're aficionados, they're roasters. And I got to tell you, they brought over some cold brew, nitrogenated cold brew that will just blow your mind. It was insanely good. And it's nice to take just a brief moment away from booze and talk about coffee because coffee, like booze, is nuanced, it's flavorful, and it has such a rich cultural heritage, which Joel describes in great detail being a huge fan and a current resident of Brazil. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great conversation with Joel Schuler and Eric Wolf of Casa Brazil. I remember when when Clinton was when I was in high school. Clinton was going to visit Brazil. Oh yeah. And the the consulate reported to Bill that the corruption was endemic in Brazil, and they just got livid. And they, you talk to <laughs> you talk to him, and they'll be like, "Yeah, of course it's endemic." Um, you mean implicit or endemic? Endemic, like it's everywhere. Everywhere. So it's a great country. Sure. Like I, I, there, there's a uh, there's a famous quote by you know Tom Jobim, Antonio Carlos Jobim. Okay. He was a, a Brazilian composer. Wrote the girl from Ipanema. Yeah. Um, he lived for a long time in New York, and then he went back to Brazil. And a reporter asked him, "Hey, Tom, do you?" prefer life in new york or do you prefer life in brazil and his response in portuguese it doesn't translate perfectly but it was uh, life in, in new york is good but it's shit life in here is shit but it's good <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of uh that's kind of brazil in a nutshell what did you... it's it's corrupt yeah and you, you know there's corrupt and there's things don't work and, and people aren't as friendly in traffic and there's a lot of reasons to be picky but at the end of the day life is life is good down there I've always been reticent to go, although I love cachaca, I love the food, but I, I everybody keeps telling me it's not safe. You can't get around. Is that true? We were, uh, we looked uh, in 2005 when when Casa Brazil started. Yeah. The, we we decided we were going to get out of the cultural center. Okay. Uh, business. We started off as a cultural center, and we were going to get into something else, into coffee. And yeah. I've always loved New Orleans. So we went down to New Orleans. This was like two weeks before Katrina, which yeah. ultimately impacted our decision. But my wife was like, it's, it's incredible here. But I don't know. It's, I hear it's not safe. And I was like, you know, it's like Brazil. Yeah. You, know, it's, you go down the wrong street. and you in, in, in larger towns, most of the violence there is in larger towns, see, like okay. Sao Paulo and Rio, yeah. where I live and in, in like where you find the coffee, it's, it's usually safer. Pretty and chill. the cachaça, too. You're yeah. not going to. It's not like organized crime. It's a lot of petty theft. Yeah. It's like Oaxaca versus uh, Mexico City or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's people just doing their thing, you know, just trying to get along. 
trying to get by. And the theft is you can't really blame them for it. There's not really social mobility like there is here. Yeah. There's not really good. There's there's better. It's improved a lot. But you know when there's when there's no good jobs. Yeah. You can't really. What do you? Yeah. Blame what are you someone. gonna do? Everybody's backed against a corner, right? Yeah. You know, a dog's gonna bite you. What's a person gonna do? Yeah. Chop your hand off? I don't know. Steal yeah. your wallet? But it, it's. So you, in other words, you get out of those kind of more metropolitan areas and it becomes something a little bit more honest. And I hear that the camaraderie and the people and the kindness is insane. <laughs> yeah. Just everybody's willing to go the extra step for you. There, you know? Yeah, I went to Brazil when I was 14 for the first time and I kind of got spoiled because you go, you go anywhere else and the yeah. people seem to be cold because they're... They're, they're, once you know somebody, yeah, Brazilians, like in a personal space, they'll yeah. do many things for you on, on a... On a in the public space, not necessarily so. When I, when I lived in Italy, they, it, it's kind of a Latin culture, maybe yeah, Mexico, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know sure. as well. But if you don't know them, they're kind of indifferent. Like they're not, It's not the Texan nice where people are going to say hi to you on right. the street. And artificial. We, we're very good at being artificially racist in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> we, just start, like, we, get, we deal with like one level of niceties, but we are nice. I mean, you're waving at me. You, yeah. In the back of your head, you're thinking, tip, put a dip. Tip your cap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tip in your cap. <laughs> But so you end up in Brazil, fourteen. So I, you know, so I'm trying to put this stuff together. There's this amazing coffee, which Brazil being an epicenter of good taste, not only cachaça and coffee, but at that age of fourteen, did you have any idea, Joel, that you were going to enter into coffee and like do business with this place? No, I was a I was a soccer player. So there was a uh, my coach was Brazilian. Yeah, and there was a really crappy movie that came out with Pele. Oh, it which was movie? Hot Shot. Probably never. Uh, I don't even recall it. Yeah, Street yeah. Charlie hot Sheen, Hot Shots. Is no, part two? not no. Hot Shots. <laughs> even 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 worse than than Charlie Sheen. It was about a a wealthy uh, wealthy American Greek descent soccer player named Jimmy Christides. Oh, that's good. <laughs> was he a looker? Seems like a looker. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and then he, uh, I won't, uh, I won't do any spoilers. Yeah, so, right, because uh, everybody you're, wants. You're gonna, they're you're, they're yeah. like just clamoring to see this movie it's, it's in my queue i've waited <laughs> <laughs> no you have to uh, long time. It, it's not online no you're gonna have please. to go back to the mail subscription and netflix to get it it's, it's that it's a rarity yeah but so this thing did you find some kind of was there something that really piqued your interest so, so in the movie it, it, it played for two days in in west des moines iowa and then okay. even even there was like no this is this is not good but the uh the, the he left the team Fought with a coach, and then he went to Brazil to learn soccer from Pele, okay. who had retired from soccer and was hiding as a gardener. He was working as a gardener. This sounds real familiar, actually. Really? The more that we talk about it, <laughs> when did this come out? Is this two thousands or the late? 90s? No, man, this is like eighties. Because I remember distinctly a movie on HBO with Pele coming back. It could be. The, is, is it? It's not Victory, is it? Victory is like the good one. Victory's the. <laughs> that was a similar premise. So Michael, Pele, that was Pele no. Victory was World War Two. World War Two. Oh camp. no! Michael Caine with Pele. Yeah, uh, no, it wasn't that one. This was way lower budget than. Oh that. yeah, this yeah. was low, low budget. Despite Jimmy Christie's immense wealth, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he was like the son of a shipping magnet who fought with his dad and fought with his coach and went. Yeah. To I feel like I watched it in school or something. Yeah, it sounds real familiar. <laughs> Joel, Joel's painting a very clear picture for me. Yeah, we're getting, both, like, this we're is both. all coming back. I'm like, I remember when I got home at 3 p.m. when I was 12 years old. Yeah. This movie seems pretty, pretty epic. But did it leave an impact on you? So then I decided I got to go meet this Pele guy. Did you, this really? Well, oh, I never. I met his son. I never. I've never met Pele. That's the 
the moment I, I need to have in my oh, man. in my life. How old is he now? Do you know roughly? Is he in his eighties or he's, he's getting there? Getting he's there, probably yeah. late seventies. He was in the hospital. Oh, really? Recently, um, yeah, I was like, "Don't die, man! Not yet." Still, <laughs> I, I haven't crossed the, the the item out on my list, dude. You got to stick still around. Met you haven't, you haven't you met me. Your life is <laughs> not complete. I did a coffee course in Santos for a month, like a classification course. And there's supposedly there's a coffee shop that he sometimes goes to, and I went there religiously every day. You knew you were, you, were, you knew what you were doing, right? Just hoping he would come up. I played against his son one time. Really? Yeah, his son was a goalkeeper for Santos. Uh, Good. Yeah, it was good. He he got into some legal problems, mm. um, but uh, I think he went to jail for for drugs. No shit. Yeah. Oh wow. But he was a uh, he was in like a New Yorker, he had a New York accent and a genial, nice guy. Interesting. Uh, we played against his team on the beach. Yeah. So did you did you notice at that point like th- this lifelong goal to meet Pele like. No, nothing's registering yet, right? Like coffee's not red. You're not drinking no. coffee at fourteen, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I went I when I was 14, then I went back when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and 16, I played for a, a team called Grêmio in the south of Brazil. Yeah. Uh, so I did. I went down, I got the test, like the tryout to play for their, their junior league. So the, down in Brazil, it would be like the equivalent of like the the Mavericks had like an under 18, under gotcha. 16, okay. under 14. Yeah, yeah. So I went, I did the test for their under 16 team, and I passed. And so I stayed there for, <clears throat> for six months. And it was funny. You- how do you do that at 16? Are you going home school or are you going to school there? I went to school down there. No kidding. Yeah. Your folks were here though, I guess, right? My folks were, yeah, my folks were in, in Iowa. I don't They're, know. That's crazy. So they just, are you of in any any way Portuguese descent or anything? No, Irish. And white Irish dude, right? White yeah, we're both white. white. Everybody's white in this white room. Dudes. Again. Everybody's white <laughs> in this room again. I swear to God. <laughs> still. <laughs> still. Still. No matter how many beards we have, we can't cover that shit up. Ever. <laughs> So, but it seems like, do you feel like that's kind of taking the momentum and, yeah, I want to be a professional soccer player? Is that where it's coming in? Yeah, that's where, well, that's where I went to Brazil. Yeah. Is I wanted to, uh, Iowa, there was limited room for growth. As yeah. A, and so I wanted to uh, to develop, um, kind of, you know, want to learn basketball, you come to the United States to play. So yeah. I did that. I went to college, played for a redshirt freshman at Boston University. And then oh, I cool. dropped out of college to go play. Try to play professional in Brazil because the, the the World Cup was here in '94. The year yeah. I graduated from high school, and they were just starting the league here. So, kind of the idea was to go down to Brazil, uh, play for you know, six years. I knew I wasn't good enough to be like a first division player in Brazil, yeah. but I figured I could, you know, play in the second division or bounce around and then get enough experience to where I could come back. And were you just biding your time at Boston? Like just saying, like, dude, I really just want to go back to Brazil. Yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. <laughs> I was it was a rewarding experience in any sense, like being at, at BU, at yeah, at college. BU. Not really. I mean, <laughs> the how many weeks was it? Six weeks? Because I just had a conversation like this yesterday. No, I stay. I stuck it out for the full year. Okay, but, okay. But the, the we played on astroturf, mm-hmm. um, and it was like a crown field, and uh, the the. The team we were good. We were the number one team in the nation that year, Division One. Yeah. But uh, the style was more of an English style of soccer back yeah, in the yeah. day, like long ball. And I remember there was a there was an incredible player on the team. To me, the best player on the team was a Colombian guy named uh-huh. Silas or Silas Pachon. Incredible player, beautiful to watch him play, yeah. sitting on the bench his senior year. And oh, so really? I kind of saw the writing on the wall there. I was like, this is the guy I want to be like, and he's sitting on the bench. And for him, he was getting. You know, what BU was like thirty five thousand at the time, so yeah. he was he was just you know 
happy to be going to a, a, a nice school, man. Yeah. It's a great school, yeah. So, um, but you, but you, you but saw I and you professional. So yeah, I, went, yeah, you I tried to go to Brazil. We had a. I went down with an American team. We were playing in a, uh, <clears throat> a beach game in Taiyin, the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, in kind of a, it was a, f- a sandy field near the beach, kind okay. of in the dunes area. But yeah. anyway, uh, guy came and, and tackled me and. and uh, I hurt my knee, and I thought it was nothing, kind of a Charlie horse. Right, right. Went off on the sidelines, and next thing I know, my knee is the size of a, of a grapefruit. Oh, so. shit, what happened? Uh, ligaments. It was the ACL. Didn't tear it, oh, but it extended no. it. And then I tried to come back uh, too soon, and then hurt the other knee. And that was How old were you? 18, 19? Yeah, around that, yeah. Shit, so, so your, your career was like just stunted at that point. Yeah, and injured. I was a little disenchanted. So I just uh, I traveled around Brazil for... Uh, like I stayed in Brazil and traveled around for like three, four months. Yeah, hung out and uh, yeah, that was the end of the soccer career. Did you come back to the states? Yeah, I came back. My parents had moved from Iowa to Georgia. I came back to the states, trying to. Why did they move to? I mean, Georgia's a real. Career. They moved. Uh, yeah, the father business transfer. What kind of stuff did he? Was your dad into? He's in agribusiness, cattle business. Oh, okay. So okay. Grew up on a farm in Iowa. My mom's from Dallas. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you come back like from Brazil, you're injured, you did at least a little bit of touring. I imagine you get some sordid stories about some chiquitas or whatever, like in Brazil and this I've got I've got one of the so this is a cool story from yeah. back then. I was I went to a, one of the teams that we had like had a because my coach was Brazilian, we used to do soccer exchanges mm-hmm. where a team would come stay with us. And so I went to work on a uh, ranch of a guy that lived in, in Mato Grosso do Sul, so like in the middle of nowhere okay. in Brazil. Now it's huge in soybeans. What kind of ranch was it? Just cattle? They did cattle. It was a farm, a cattle ranch, and they had cows and so okay. on. And then they had corn production. So not like a Texas-style ranch, right, more like right. a Brazilian. But anyway, um, we went to a really small town one day. Cool cool story. We went to a really small town one day, and there was this uh, paraíso. There was this old guy, like farmer, and he said, uh-huh. oh, you know, I've uh, I've only met two foreigners in my life. There's you and there used to be this German guy that lived there. Didn't think anything of yeah. it. When I came back from Brazil, I was watching, I was in my parents' house in, my, in the basement watching the Discovery, or a biography channel one yeah, yeah. on Joseph Mengele. And it was Joseph oh, Mengele that lived in that town. So it was just, no it was freaky because, in, you know, in that guy's mind, there existed a set of two people of which I comprised 50% <laughs> and the other one was Mingler. <laughs> I mean, that boosts your score like immediately. Yeah, so. The other white guy, I remember you. Should, you. Yeah. you should have seen the other guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you come back and, I mean, what, what, your body, your knees messed up. I guess soccer's out of the question, right? Yeah, what, so, do you, what do you uh, think about doing at that point? Uh, I, went to, I went to California to try to act. You went to California to try to. I'm taking notes here. I gotta tell you, it's pretty disparate. So you you start this <laughs> soccer. You're, you're in Iowa. Yeah. You start this soccer career. Like everything looking good, build, building some momentum up. Head to Brazil, and then an injury happens. You tore a bit, no pun intended. And then you come back to Georgia. Why did you see like a, a very compelling Eastwood movie or something? Like what? I don't know. I think uh, I wanted to be famous. I think it was, I didn't think <laughs> about it at way, the time. Yeah. yeah, I think I think about it, you know, yeah, I wanted to be famous. But Is I don't anybody have... like really resonating at that time? Or there are these actors like, that is an amazing guy. No, I, I don't think be. I fell in love. That's probably why I was such a crappy 
actor. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't I wasn't in love with the craft of acting. Yeah, I yeah. don't even know. I just wanted. I didn't know what to do. But you right? but you went to L.A. My eighteen years or nineteen years of existence had been soccer, soccer, soccer. Yeah, that was gone. I didn't want to be a soccer coach. Um, you know, at that point, it was kind of emotionally painful to even watch soccer. So yeah, I had a friend, uh, the quarterback at Boston University, uh, lived in in Orange County. So I went and. It lives in Orange County no for kidding. a while. Yeah. How were those auditions? Yeah, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't do too well. No. <laughs> it, what, what, why, what would you say was your major inadequacy as an actor? I mean, all around crappy. Act. I can't lie. Like, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a terrible liar. That's the best part of being an actor. Yeah. Just lying about all that shit. Yeah. So, how long were you in California then? Oh. Went to a semester. I went to uh, Irvine Valley Community oh, College really? to okay. try to act, and then you know did try to get acting gigs in L.A. Ended up surfing and doing nothing, working as a waiter. And, yeah, it was a good experience though. Still spiritually enlightening, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's what you know. The, the greatest part is what people don't say, because it's like, yeah, he's looking at me like, yeah. I'm like, oh, the stories. I can just see them sort of, like, just mounting. You know? <laughs> what, I've, uh, what I've learned is that, you know, it doesn't, success or failure doesn't really matter in the long run. You look, totally back, right. you look back on what you've done in life, and it's not like, it's not like you, oh, I was successful, so that was a good part of my life. Yeah. When I look back, it was just the people you knew. And that's probably why I didn't make any good friends in, in California that time. Probably yeah. not so much the, the people of California, but where I was just... It's hard, man. I heard it's really clicky, you know, in L.A. Like, if you don't have people to, to hang out with, even in Orange County. Well, that scene. Yeah. yeah it's I mean, totally like that. And they're not willing to, to let other people in. You yeah. know, whereas Austin, you think, conversely, is very open. It's very communal for the most part. That's why when I moved to Austin in 2003, I liked it so much. Yeah. It's, it was kind of, I, I had a good group of uh, Irish friends in Atlanta. I, went, I ended up in Atlanta, Georgia. So you had, were you heading back to live with your folks in Georgia? Or just I, went, I went to Atlanta for the, uh, to finish college. Okay. So they had, uh, Atlanta, or Georgia has the Hope Scholarship. Mm-hmm. So if you have a 3.0 or better, college tuition is free. And no so, kidding. Yeah. So I couldn't wow. go back to BU because I didn't have the scholarship anymore. And I didn't want to fork over 30-some thousand dollars a year in yeah. tuition. So I ended up going back to go to... Georgia State University. Oh, very cool. Did you yeah. end up finishing up there? I did. Would yeah. you? What was your? I'm, I'm trying to guess. I can't even fucking imagine now. It's not acting, but it could have been acting. <laughs> soccer? No, it's not soccer. Yeah. Is it business administration? No, no I, uh, <laughs> economics, and then okay, uh, okay. and then I did economics, and then went back and did philosophy. Was it? Were you passionate about it, or just kind of finishing up? Because that's what yeah, you I like. I liked it. I yeah. liked economics. It was always easy. Um, I, I saw that line of thinking. You know, yeah. there's certain things I've done in life that I've have been easy, and certain things I've wanted to do that have been really hard. Yeah. Um, for example, music and guitar. I busted. My when head. was that phase? After I graduated, I went to the Atlanta Institute of Music. And yeah. Then I taught guitar and gigged out for like. No four shit. Years Were you ever there. touring and writing your own stuff? Or? Um. Yeah. Well, I was. I uh, <laughs> I taught lessons during the day, and then I did like restaurant. Uh, Country finger picking blues oh, and nice. uh, yeah, see, it's the fame thing and then poor decisions. I, you you keep wanting fame. I'm seeing I do, this. Man. Like you're, you're providing me my my key, <laughs> my first big breakout moment right here. <laughs> <laughs> After almost forty yeah. years of uh, yeah, no, but uh, I'll make I, you famous, man. In yeah, podcast, I tell you. 
I wanted to be, uh, well, I wanted, I guess, I don't know, I wanted to be a musician, but I ended up doing country finger picking blues and, really? and Brazilian jazz. And it's like, how many? That's not even the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah. And this is back in Atlanta? Did you stick around in Atlanta? You said, yeah, you went to the Yeah, Asia I was there for, I graduated in 2000. I ended up graduating in 2000 and stuck around for several years. And Man, so you just want to be famous. I did, yeah, no. <laughs> How about now? You still No, no, I'm cool. No, I'm studying agronomy right now. Like, agronomy? Yeah, yeah, agricultural engineering, yeah. That sounds pretty different than yeah. guitar country finger-picking. Yeah. For a small-town Des Moines guy. Yeah, it's <laughs> more in line with the the rural background. You know? Yeah, interesting. So, all right, so we're talking, you've got, man, like, you're, you're playing soccer, you're trying to act, you're surfing, many sordid affairs. I'm just going to fill in the blanks here because I can just tell... What you weren't saying, all those blondes on the beach or whatever, right? It's fine, it's fine, totally fine. <laughs> my, my wife is probably going to listen to this. That's good, so is mine, I hope. But no, we're good, we're, you know, we, we love our wife. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you end up back to Atlanta, you're doing the music, thing, but that's not working. So you, you no. said 2003 is when you headed to Austin? Or 2004? Yeah, 2003. So I moved to Costa Rica for a little bit. I can't. I'm. I'm losing every bet here, Eric. I'm I moved to Costa. Down. I moved. Where's he going to move to next? I have no idea. I moved to Costa Rica to uh, to write the album, and I lived <laughs> on a shack in the beach for six. Were months. Were you wearing a shirt ever? Man, I don't know. <laughs> but I lived on the beach in like a shack and yeah. like the total like serene atmosphere. What were you? What album were you trying the, to write? What was I don't it? know. It didn't happen, man. Then I realized like, yeah, this is probably not the right career choice because if you know, what album would would you have written? Back in Black. That was recorded in Jamaica on a beach. I'll was think. it? Yeah. I don't know. What, what, like a, a really good album that I wanted to do, probably uh, Blood on the Tracks or some... Interesting. Dylan. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Something really, really uh, that exposed you, <laughs> honest, make you a star. Yeah. Did I, you find that, that Costa Rica, is that where you kind of wetted the coffee whistle? Because it seems like a pretty big market there, right? Yeah, I, I visited some coffee plantations in there. But I, uh, the coffee came from when I studied philosophy. Mm. Uh, I would hang out, a lot of reading. Yeah. So I hang out at coffee shops. And then I moved to Austin uh, to go to law school, to UT Law School. But Did I, didn't, you... I didn't go to, I decided not to. What area of law were you studying? I, 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 didn't, I didn't go, but I was going to, I don't know, international law. Okay. okay. So I moved here because uh, they have the Brazil Center at the University of Texas. Mm-hmm. So they have a really strong program. In, I think it's the largest center for Brazilian studies outside of Brazil. It's no re- really strong, yeah. I didn't know that. And, uh, but I, did, I worked for an immigration lawyer briefly, and I decided that I didn't want to go to law school. So we opened up one of our clients at the, at the immigration lawyer on the Brazilian market. So I said, okay, I don't... Man, I was, what, in my late 20s at the time. Yeah, yeah. Don't want to do law. Let me do a... A, a market doesn't sound so interesting, but a cultural center. So we opened up Casa Brazil as a Brazilian cultural center. Interesting. And we did... Uh, we did percussion classes. We did Brazilian guitar classes. Yeah. We did Portuguese classes. Because you had some background in that, right? You're saying you yeah, yeah. Brazilian jazz. Yeah, there's, there's actually, there's a, uh, like the Crying Monkeys. And there's, there's some incredible uh, Americans that play Brazilian, like Choro and different kinds of Brazilian music. A lot of like, North Texas guys that really live here. They're, yeah, there's a really good Brazilian music. And there's Samba School here. Yeah, I didn't um, know that. Yeah. Now, this is, this is like, I've got this interesting Brazilian thread that's coming through, getting it. Nate, who started off Wah, talking about yeah. Casa, he's also very influenced by Brazilian music, and that was one of the reasons. It's incredible, he, man. Yeah. There's some incredible um, Brazilian music out there. Yeah. So, but Casa Brazil really started as, wh- where was it located at that point? 
So uh, in Hyde Park. Hyde Park, okay. Yeah. And so I lived in an apartment in the back, and we had the market up, up front. Wow. And then we, uh, so we started selling, one of the products that we sold was Brazilian brand coffee. And so Brazil, like all producing countries, uh, they export their best green coffee, their huh. unroasted coffee, and then they uh, keep their worst. So we were buying, we were selling like the Folgers and Maxwell Houses of Brazil, which are far worse than the Folgers and Maxwell Houses here in the United yeah. States. It's really bad. Oh. So I went to a local roaster and I asked, uh, you know, can you sell me some good Brazilian coffee? And his response was, there's no such thing as good Brazilian coffee. Really? So it's kind of like that. Have you ever seen Portlandia? Oh, yeah. That first episode where they, they're like, we're going to go check it out. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go check it out. I don't think that's necessarily the case. The it's first... so strange is that your cup's empty. You want it to have good juice. So you go find the good juice. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a, that's the pursuit for so many people. Yeah. It's like, I don't like this whiskey. I'm going to make my own whiskey. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I went there and over the next three years, I spent about six months on the ground. My wife, who I met the first week and uh, at the cultural center. Yeah. Uh, was she from uh, Austin as she, well? She's Brazilian. So oh. she's from Minas Gerais, which is, Minas Gerais produces half of Brazil's coffee and Brazil produces a third of the world's coffee. So I didn't know that. That's 15, you know, 15% roughly of the world's coffee is produced in her state. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, I, went, I started going down there and just learning how to taste coffee. And over the course of three years, it was uh, like six months. Um, we ended up, I bought a home roaster and started mm-hmm. roasting coffee in my logbook. And What was the thing about coffee that you really enjoyed? Was it the culture? Was it the certain flavors of it? Yeah, I'd always liked it. And uh, I don't you know. Yeah, the, it's uh, the, the, the complexity of it. As, you, yeah. as I discovered more and more, you know, coffee actually is more complex in terms of flavor and compounds than wine. Um, so that there was that aspect of it. I liked it. There was a terroir aspect of it. The sure. coffee from Antigua, Guatemala tastes different than the coffee from Weiwei Tenango that yeah. tastes different from Cerrado region of Brazil. So you had different uh, that. And what I really fell in love with was, was the processing aspect of coffee. So once you pick the fruit off the tree, you've got to remove the seed, which is the bean that we mm-hmm. uh, roast and consume, and you've got to dry it to 11% moisture content. Interesting. And so how you do that greatly affects the flavor of it. So I became fascinated with that process. Um, yeah, it's, it's... I didn't realize this. I mean, I can only assume, because I, all I can think of is in terms of booze, which is... <laughs> Fault me for it. Fair <laughs> enough, right? But, but we talk about booze. So terroir, huge element in mezcal. Not as much in bourbon, but we take mezcal, which is kind of the stripped down, very, very basic uh, distillate, you know. And then if you let it ferment for too long, we'll make that kind of analogous to roasting, for example. Right. Different flavors, off flavors, probably not as good. Like if you cook it too long, same kinds of thing. So there is this flavor profile and kind of this complexity to coffee that you would find in spirits. And you mentioned wine, like... It, no wonder it's something really worth pursuing because it's yeah. so rich, has all these different kinds of flavors to it. Yeah. Well said, yeah. That's, <laughs> First time. You know, I'm taking credit for one. This is the only time. That I've <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's that. It was, it was uh, and so I, I became, you know, I became very interested in, yeah. in that aspect of it. And I uh, befriended a college professor that kind of, uh, well, is, is considered to be one of the world's foremost experts in post-harvest coffee. Really? He had written a textbook in in Portuguese uh, about it, and so a college textbook. And so I thought, you know, we need to translate this book because Brazil is, is more technologically advanced in coffee than a lot of other countries. What's, what is one of the things... Research. 
what is one of the technologies that makes them advance? Because I, because like we'll talk, Eric. We'll talk about the process here in a second. Because I don't really understand how you how complex it is to roast coffee, but I imagine it's probably relatively complex. Yeah, yeah. So just that you 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 know what maturation starting on the tree, what mm-hmm. maturation you're going to pick. How do you know when the coffee's ripe? Yeah, um, is that peak maturation, and then how how do you develop a system? Um, that you can pick the coffee at peak maturation, dry mm-hmm. it properly, and without it fermenting, or because you oh it'll so it'll naturally ferment just being yeah well so the, basically you have to do two things with coffee yeah. you have to remove the the, the seed and you have mm-hmm. to dry it so if you dry the whole coffee fruit uh-huh. intact it's yeah. called a naturally processed coffee okay and those are higher risk coffees because you have all of the sugars. Oh, and you I have see. higher moisture content, so it's sugar, water, yeah. heat. You get yeast is just ready to eat. You know. Oh, interesting! I didn't even realize that. Yeah, so they, those coffees got a bad rap for a long time in the coffee business. Okay, uh, what, what is that flavor like when if they do actually start to ferment? It uh, acidic vinegar. Vinegar, yeah, oh, very so acidic. Okay. Yeah, um, but the, at the same time, if they're well done, they can be incredibly fruity and yeah. sweet and full-bodied coffees. So. Oh. They they got it kind of like maybe cachaça cachaça yeah. got a at least a, in some markets it got a bad rap for a long time because what you just saw was really poorly done yeah it's very abrasive very hot very fumy yeah and then once you have some really well done cachaça you're like oh I, it's not that I don't like cachaça it's that I don't like crappy cachaça that's exactly right yeah. so naturals were like that and the other side of it is is washed coffee so that's where you pulp the bean you remove the bean from uh-huh. the fruit and then you you throw the bean into, or you either let it stew in its own juices, uh-huh. or you put it into fermentation tanks. Really? And it, the, it, it, the, the remaining pulp, uh-huh. it uh, ferments off, and it controlled fermentation. Uh, and so those are washed coffees. That's insane. Yeah. And so, I mean, now we're drawing a huge parallel to brewing. Because all this stuff's making, That's my, where, yeah, making yeah. my head spin. But so at, at what year does Casa Brazil kind of turn into, I want to do coffee? So we, in 2005, 2006 was when we decided to do that. 2006, I think we closed the doors um, and, uh, of the cultural center yeah. and uh, pursued this. And then 2008 or nine, we, we brought in our first container. Because I, I wanted to, I realized that that, that 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 statement was not true, that there was incredible Brazilian coffees. Yeah. And so, but it takes a lot. Like we, to put together small lots of coffee, amalgamate them in Brazil, uh, and bring them in, so it took it took some doing. So we they open on on the Brazil side. Were they open to you buying the stuff in bulk? Yeah, yeah. They're so they're cool it, there, right? until the until the early nineties in Brazil, basically there was kind of a government quota system mm-hmm. because Brazil controls such a large percent of the world, or uh, comprises such a large percent of the world coffee yeah, yeah. market that they would restrict supply and demand to control price. I see. Okay, and then you had that whole like pre-market Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher thing kind of hit uh, South America. So you had more, you had a, a president that ended up being a peach caller, but he, he uh, disbanded the IBC, the Brazilian Coffee Institute. Interesting. And so then it became, then, then you, because if, if the government's guaranteeing you price, then there's really not an incentive for you to produce high, spend more money and produce high quality. Yeah, what's the point, right? Yeah. But, but you saw there's a distinct opportunity here. Yeah, so th- look, by the time I got down there, 15 years had passed, and there's some, there's some really nice quality coffees in, in Brazil. Mm. So, uh, so the first container 
I mean, was that really stressful bringing in all that? Oh yeah. What you, it, like, what am I going to do with this? Yeah, yeah, it was stressful, man. Yeah. And uh, we had everything vacuum sealed to to make it like uh, last longer. Yeah. To prolong it, the the life of it, and uh, yeah, it was it's nerve wracking having something at, at at sea. You know, just oh, to think dude, that your product's on a boat. Oh, yeah. And, and those maritime laws are kind of messed oh, up. so strange. Yeah. Like, like, we, yeah, when we brought over, anyways, we brought some over some containers from China. Uh-huh. It wasn't even stuff that was going to spoil or anything. It's just glass, just glass bottles. But the person that has to cut the, the container, the lock on the container, they have to be vetted through a particular agency. I mean, it's like insane. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. You know? And we got, so yeah, the first container we brought in, I opened the doors and we had everything vacuum suit, vacuum packed and uh-huh. everything was beautiful. And then, we opened the doors and the coffees just started gushing out the back. Oh, my heart sank. Shit. It was like, oh my God. And so I called up the customs in Houston. And I was like, you know, how do I file a claim? Because it was a customs inspection. Yeah, yeah. And they had like the, they have like the prod, you know, No Country for Old Men. Uh-huh. You know, he, oh, yeah. He has the cabin prod. <laughs> they have something like Antoine that. Antoine Chigurh. Chigurh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they have something like that that fires back and for them to probe the coffee to make sure that what are they trying to measure? I guess drugs. They're trying oh, to find out drugs. What's okay. inside. Yeah. Anytime. And I guess, you know, from what they told me, anytime you, you're a first-time importer, you're going to get, uh, FDA is going to inspect you just to make sure that you're not doing anything shady. Okay. Um, but I called and I said, how do I file an insurance claim? And she's like, you can't, you know, they said, you can't file an insurance claim. I was like, I had to, and you have to pay them like 250 bucks a day or something like that. Yeah. So, no, like, that's not right. You destroyed hundreds of dollars of product. And she said, uh, "Sir, we could have burned your entire container. <laughs> you couldn't do anything." Else. <laughs> and so do I, you know I who the, you're talking to, yeah, right? And so I was, I was livid. I was, God, gonna, I was going to call pissed. a complaint. I was going to call a complaint, but the the, the uh, customs broker that we use talked me down. She's like, "Do you really want to?" Because they can fuck you every other time yeah, after, yeah. right? Do you really want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's a couple. If they have times. that attitude once, there's no problem them ruining every other container that yeah. comes in. You know. But so there was some product, obviously, that was still fine, though, right? Yeah, yeah. There was, I mean, it's uh, a containers around. So in coffee, you talk in terms of bags and yeah. boxes. So a, a bag of coffee from Brazil in general is 60 kilos, so 132.28 pounds. And the container is a uh, full cont- 20-foot container is 320 bags. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a lot. It's so, like 30, 32, 36,000 pounds of, of coffee. Yeah, it's a whole lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And, you, have, you know, you have to pay cash against documents in Santos and you're right. out that. It's basically a small house that you're. People live in those things, yeah. man. I've seen it. It's that <laughs> container bar down, downtown too. People partying oh, yeah, in this, yeah. you know. It's it's not a bad way to live. So you bring in all this coffee. Did you know what to do with it? Yeah, yeah I had I had the yeah we had we had the roaster at that point. Okay. So I had been roasting for a couple of years, or like four years by that time, because I had had the home roaster for a couple of years. Oh, that's and then right. We, we yeah. bought a smaller roaster, and I've been buying coffees here and playing around. with and So them. ultimately, how does roasting work? So all yeah, that, so uh, yeah, Eric being, can I call you the master roaster? The I'm, roaster I'm with far, the most. I'm far from. I'm actually very, very <laughs> new to roasting. I think I'm apprentice roaster. With apprentice roaster? That's good so. too. What's yeah. that? What is that process then with the beans? Because that's what gives it all its flavor, right? Correct. Is the roasting process. So is it, do you dump them into a thing that tumbles them, that heats them? Is it open fire? Is it gas? Exactly. exactly. There, there are several different types of roasters. And again, okay. Joel can speak more to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, has done a lot longer, but it's a, but it is, it's a drum roaster, the type that we use. Interesting. Um, so, you know, it's a, a similar to you know roasting a pig, I guess, if yeah, you will. Yeah, that yeah. you're, you know, you're you just keep turn you rotating. Want, it, you right? want you want air air flow and temperature, yeah. and and time, 
which you know so cooking the, anything I, I suppose is the, all of those things what's the the lightest roast called so and, and about how long does that take so if you were going to just try to roast it the least amount possible what is so, that so roast time will vary okay. based on the volume that you're roasting okay. and what temperature okay. you want um what what would be the lightest yeah this drink, drinkable roast i mean you could because it's green otherwise right yeah it's green and it basically the the it starts off or it should start off at about 10 to 11 percent moisture content okay so okay a, a good analogy perhaps with with coffee roasting is with onions oh okay um and that the first thing you put onions into a pan if the pan's too hot you're going to sear and burn some of the onions right, and, right, right and then that taste is going to like let's say you're trying to make a french onion soup mm-hmm. and you put them in a pan there's not enough oil or the pan's too hot and part yeah. of it sears when you have the french onion soup that that Bitterness is the, from the burnt carbonization is going to remain. Interesting. So you okay. you don't want to put a small mass of coffee into a very hot drum. Similar to onions, also that you put the mass in, and assuming it doesn't, uh, we call it tipping. Uh uh-huh. Okay. Here. So you, that that doesn't happen. The first thing the coffee does is it, it sheds its moisture. So most of the energy is expended just removing the remaining water that's in there. Right. And then once that happens, then you have caramelization and Maya reaction. Um, Amazing, and, and you try to kind of our, our mentality with roasting is a good roast is like a good ref. Uh-huh. Um, a good ref, you notice the game, you don't notice the ref. A good roast, you notice. Let's the see, lets the punches flow yeah. without being an obstruction. You don't right? really think about them. You yeah, know? exactly. You, yeah. Taste, you taste the coffee, you don't taste the roast. So with if it's yeah. too light, because that's kind of the trend in coffee still is lighter roasts. Why do you think that is? Because because of that, because it, um, because it's the coffee is naked. And that okay. if there's any defect, uh, you you can see it. It's exposed, right? It's yeah. exposed. You know, you don't, you can't hide it behind carbonization or smoke. So you have uh, like kind of that smoky bitterness, or, right? Um, so like unripe coffee. If you have unripes, unripe coffee tastes similar to unripe bananas. It's kind of that burnt rubber. Oh, okay. Yeah. Taste. Um, you can probably hide that in a dark roast because you have bitterness afterwards in the yeah. dark roast. So um, they're actually slightly different. The bitterness is from carbonization versus the bitterness from unripes. The bitterness from unripes is actually kind of an astringency that pulls the water off your tongue. Okay. Like an unripe banana. Yeah. You know? It's like, interesting because it is, it, it's so, because I talk about mezcal all the time. It's really not that different. Yeah. You don't cook it enough or it's unripe when you cook it, you're not going to get the same pleasant t- taste. You use chemicals. As some people use sulfuric acid with lots of agave, for example. You get, again, impure flavors which of course you could distill out as you're saying if you just go to a dark roast it's still there like there's like slight imperfection yeah yeah you know you go through all you go through all of this time and energy to source the best coffee that you can if you're gonna burn it then what's What's the the point point? you might might as well be roasting a shoe it's like (laughs) overcooking or overcooking sure sure a well-done steak yeah perfect perfect analogy interesting so you guys have been in the same so where was originally? You said Hyde Park, Casa Brazil was. Yeah, so we started in the like you know in the garage of the. <laughs> I love it. Literally, yeah. in the garage. No, I know. believe it. Um, and then it was fine. Eventually, the the neighbors weren't too happy about it when we. The smell or. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. Um, so uh, yeah, then we moved briefly. Then we then so then uh, about the time we were going to move, I had to kind of cash flow the the coffee business. I had. Uh, bought a small distribution company that serviced coffee shops with allied products oh, like soy milk okay. and, and those kinds of things yeah yeah so i, I uh, had gotten to know donna taylor who was the founder of little city coffee mm-hmm. downtown 
and she approached me because uh, they weren't going to renew her lease, and she 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 was done. She wanted to to, to leave and do something else with yeah. her life after twenty years of yeah. It was a crazy spot back down there. Yeah, it's so, old time, old time Austin. You know, yeah. at this point, even though even though it wasn't really like I mean, it'd been there a long time, but. It was there until the 2000s. Yeah. We said it when we walked in your kitchen before we started recording. Yeah. It's like, you know, we've all been here for Long between 13 and 20 years, and we're, sure. we're old townies, which in this town, townies, that's 20, right. 20, 20 years is a long time. It is a town. long time, right? Such a transient population. Certainly. Yeah. But so, what did she, she, did she commission you to do coffee? Did you think it, like, no, I, she like, just said, I'm done. Do you want to buy the business? And do you want to keep this going on? And, you know, I, I my first day or second day in austin mm. i was gonna work for i had an interview at a law firm downtown oh okay so i didn't know any you know 2003 i drove downtown i went to little city had a cup of coffee went to the interview came back down and there was you know in the way my first leslie experience i saw leslie <laughs> bent over with his little what it was pants or shorts he was wearing a skirt yeah he, with go. a g-string and he was bent over and, yeah uh, yeah it's a sobering experience yeah seeing leslie's ass crack yeah or yeah. thereabouts Kind of cut. I kind of miss seeing Leslie. I do too. I was talking about him the other day. I was like, man, even though it was awkward, still like that kind of awkward. Yeah, it was kind of fun, you know, being downtown. But so wherever we came from, I think that was not not like anywhere any of us came from. Absolutely. I'm I'm in a I'm in a progressive place now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This dude's wearing a g-string, and everybody seems to be all right with it. Fair enough. Game on. Game on. But you didn't get the gig, did you? At the that law firm yeah. gig? No, I didn't get that law firm. But it's gig. better because you're here because you didn't get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't. Uh, <laughs> the the myriad failures I've had in my life are now sources <laughs> of happiness because I'm happy where I am right now. It's so. amazing. Good so when life, it, good wife. So. Yeah, very good, very good saying, of course. When did you guys end up in the current spot on San Elmo? How long we've been there? Three, four years, three, four years. Yeah. Yeah. So we we briefly moved to the east side into Little City where they were roasting at the time, mm-hmm. and then uh, even though the storefront wasn't open, right? Even the storefront. So they were roasting at a different location. They okay. Never, they didn't roast out of the downtown one. Yeah. So we were there for a little bit, and then we moved down south to San Elmo. And do you have a little bit more? I, I mean, I would imagine you've got much more space, much more freedom to stink up whatever you want to stink up. Yeah. Is it nice to have that kind of? freedom down there? yeah it's a nice spot and you know we moved there because south austin was there and, yeah uh, and it ended up working out great because uh it, yeah. it, it's a nice story in that you know it's old so we had this old austin you know it's 20 years but you know this this kind of to me it was iconic iconic for sure. yeah oh, a little yeah. city and then you know back in the day i think what was copper tank and lovejoys were kind of the right I mean, oh, that I was, that was one of one of the first Brew pubs when brew pubs were legalized in Austin. Yeah, and so, so talk about the end yeah. of prohibition again, a relatively short time ago. Very, yeah, no, we, I mean we think 19, things have moved forward so quickly. So many different kinds of establishments. Yeah, and so is that so where did you where did you guys meet? Where was this love? So Eric was working <laughs> at uh, he was brewing for South Austin. Okay, and we became friends. Did you go down there and kind of stop and see what Seth Austin was working on? Yeah, we, we did. So we did. Uh, we need to do these again. We we did up and down tours. Okay. So we would do tours once a month, and it was uh, an hour and a half on coffee, uh-huh. and we would go through raw materials, uh, the the transformation process of so roasting for coffee or brewing for beer, yeah, yeah. and then half an hour on tasting. Oh, nice. And there was lunch, and then after that would you know would be coffee before lunch, and then you'd go to. Is up and down the uh, the downer and the upper effects of said respective? It is the original 
idea for it. And it was a half day course, so it was that. appropriate. Yeah. You know, we we started in the morning with coffee and then lunch and then the well, beer portion of the day. Totally yeah, it was great. It was I was really happy with it because we thought about we can do this two ways. Yeah. We can do a very basic tour where the coffee's green, we throw it in the oven and it's brown now. Mm-hmm. Um but we, we, we really kinda geeked out on it and uh it was it was a really good tour. I was. Did really you happy do, do things it. about brew, brewing appeal to you as well? I mean, because you think about it, taking this raw, this raw ingredient, converting it into something where it exposes and expels all of its flavor. There's a lot of similarities in brewing. There are the, that he knows more than I. Yeah. Um, he's seen more of coffee than I have of beer. My beer knowledge is mainly from a consumption side. <laughs> like any good guy. <laughs> you know, Joel Joel talked about us becoming friends, just being neighbors and neighboring yeah, businesses, yeah. but that was a huge part of it that we had very similar similar parallels in what we did every day. Yeah. Um so a lot of it you, were, was were you an Austin guy? So I read about Love Joys, of course. So I uh I grew well, I was born on the East Coast and eventually Waco. Uh Teaneck, New Jersey, just oh, right New outside Jersey? of Manhattan. Oh, shit, okay. Yep. A lot of good people from Jersey, man. Yeah. Especially that are still here in Austin. Yeah, exactly. You pork roll? Does that make sense to you? That's that's you know a little bit further south. <laughs> okay. Than me, I think. Um, I'm still looking for I, uh, one. I keep asking. You know, and, and and also I come from a Jewish family. So oh, no. so, so they were more of the, uh, the the pastrami than the pork roll. I couldn't have said the, the, I couldn't have said the the, the the inverse of something that would be true. I couldn't. Have but been I think more they wrong. are inverse. I mean, I yeah. I'm a Jew with a positive attitude towards That's pork. That's <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I have I have no qualms. Um, I, I think that's great. But I just wasn't introduced to the equal pork opportunity early. pork lender. Um, but no, I, I only lived in New Jersey until I was about nine or ten. My okay. my dad's whole family is from Texas. We moved oh, really? back here to Waco. So to Waco, yeah. When I was yeah about ten years old, which you know pretty. How's it growing Huge up in Waco, man? Culture shock. Um, yeah. It was, uh, you know, even at 10 years old, I realized I was... Striking, right? Like it, it, was, it, was, it was different, and I was different <laughs> yeah. than these people. And, you know, you can't completely discount an entire city of 100,000 no, of people, but... You can um, try. I try every time. But, you know, absolutely. I've, I've tried many times. Um, <laughs> I think uh, my dad is actually leaving Waco, so I think as, no of, as of this year, he just retired. So I think we'll have what, what zero ties, and he? we'll probably never be back there again. <laughs> If you can, um, what industry was your dad? He's uh, in in uh, textile manufacturing. Oh, so okay. my okay. grandfather started a business in the fifties in Waco, um, making clothing. Oh, cool! Which eventually morphed into uh, uh, pillows and neck pillows and yeah. travel blankets. Is what they've done for about the last twenty years. That's good. And they just sold the company, and my dad is retiring and moving to Dallas. That's and, amazing. And uh, the last the last survivor. So. So yeah, so we moved to Waco in 1990 or 1991. What is the what kind of kid were you growing going to high? Because assuming you went to high school and stuff on Waco, I did um, M- music kid, sports kid. I kind of wanted to do everything and quit yeah. a lot of things. Um, did you want to be an actor? My longest term, I never wanted to be an actor <laughs> okay. or a soccer player. I, I actually did play soccer. <laughs> Again, in, there's uh, not a lot of soccer aspirations actually, in Waco. Not I, to start. I actually did. Uh, I'll tell a funny story about soccer in, in Waco. Um, my junior high school when I was in seventh grade. It was the first year that the school had been a sixth grade center. Basically, every okay. kid in town went to sixth grade at this one campus mm-hmm. and then dispersed to their local middle schools. Right. So right. I, the year I was in sixth grade, the following year was the first year that this school became a seventh and eighth grade campus as well. Okay. So seventh grade, I was there the first year that they had seventh graders. Right. Seventh grade was when competitive sports started. Ah. Um, so we had our very first soccer team, which was... Basically, the kids who weren't on the football team or the baseball <laughs> team, you know, it's kind of bad, still bad football guys. Bad, bad yeah. news bears. Um, 
I remember going the day before our first putt practice and we never let it, you know, we never let up on it with the coach, but mm-hmm. he was in a, in the library reading a book about, it was probably before the four dummies series, but the equivalent of soccer for dummies. Yeah. <laughs> like this is the guy who's going to be our coach. You know, the history teacher, Mr. Duvall. I yeah, think his yeah. Name was. amazing. And so it was, uh, but we, we had a lot of fun. We, I don't think we won a single game. I think we maybe scored one goal. We had a kid who was fast enough to get past the defense. That's good. Um, you always need that guy. But uh, but yeah, it was a. But it so was, did you? It did was you, a very bad news bears sort of situation. And it was really fun. I never had. A, crew, I never had yeah. aspirations of being a competitive or successful soccer player. No. How was it? Were it was a fun thing to do after school. Were you like academically inclined? Would you say? I was always a pretty good student. Yeah. Um, and I was always a pretty good athlete as a kid. I played baseball until I was about thirteen or fourteen. Oh, really? Kind of, you know, a lot of these things until I got to the point and realized I wasn't good enough. To <laughs> the sobering moment. Good, really good like, enough to compete, you know, oh, yeah. and then, you know, and then eventually I got into high school and started smoking pot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> drinking beer. And I think there's statute of limitations. On that, you know? Oh, yeah. No, it's fine. I think I think I think I've discussed the political the, climate with the parents, strange. all of yeah. these uh, things. Were you? Uh, oh, I'm not worried about the political climate. No, I'm not. Yeah. Um, but you're fine. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, I I kind of got, you know, less. uh enthusiastic i'd say as i got into my teen years there's and, a correlation and, yeah. and 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 you know and i want to be social i want to hang out with my friends i don't yeah. you know when i get out of school i don't want to hang out after school and go run laps i want to yeah, <laughs> what was a typical weekend go. like in waco would you say nice friday night i i think it probably similar to any small town if not any town yeah. um bonfire you know, again i mentioned I think we did have some of those, you know, a couple <laughs> yeah. of, you know, there, Stone Light. there were kids whose, you know, families had pieces of land that were outside of a town yeah, that yeah. you could go and stand around a fire and drink Keystone Light. There you go. And, I'm not, I'm um, just, I'm just writing a script. I'm just trying no, to. No, it's, you know, and eventually when we're old enough to drive, a lot of driving around with nothing to do. Yeah. Sonic uh, for me. But, you know, and, and I always thought, you know, as a kid that that's. Uh, I'm in this boring small town. That's all there is to do. But yeah. everybody I've ever talked to about high school, no matter Same where thing, they want. Right? You know, you can't go to a bar. Nope, not yet. You, know, you can't, you know, you're not going to go out to dinner. You know, you know, it's, yeah. you drive around and hope that somebody's parents are out of town. And, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe there's going to be a party somewhere. Congregate uh, listening to uh, Queens of the Stone Age, yeah, which well, might have been a little bit later, but. Yeah, that was a little before. A little before. <laughs> we were talking about the 90s, <laughs> but fair, fair enough. Yeah. So were um, you, did you say, were you thinking about really taking the, the academic path? clearly or like so so i did i did uh you know and and even despite this i'm not i'm saying i got less enthusiastic about extracurricular activities i was always a decent student and well yeah finished with good grades brewers Um, have attention to detail so i didn't give you some credit just coming into the play because you you know how funny enough i was always i was always terrible in math and science really it's kind of more towards what i've done lately i was you know more you get a, better once you realize that the better I was more the of a left is. left brand is that uh i was i was a yeah, better i was a better writer you know creative interesting type and uh did you do the whole college thing then? i did so i uh joel mentioned you know being able to go to school i think i think it probably is still this way in texas but if you were in the top x percent of your yeah, class yeah, you yeah. got into ride, any right? school it wasn't a free ride but you got into school automatically where'd you, so, where'd you go so i went here that's how UT? i ended up in austin in, oh, no in 1999 to go to ut what program uh radio television and film that's right i remember this so, who inspired was that my what bio? was that my bio <laughs> <laughs> it was a, i got received a bio i read the bio earlier it's like oh an rtf guy yeah. i know a lot of rtf guys so, uh, why why so, would you so i love it by the way it's a great program but so, why would so, you so back so back to my lack of motivation i guess i never yeah. had you know, like a lot of kids, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to 
this is my path. I'm yeah, going to yeah. go and get this degree, and I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be... I never knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to go to high school. A weatherman. No, I... You know, or I knew I wanted to go to college when yeah, I was yeah. done with high school because my other friends were going. And that's, yeah, and that's, what, it, right? and that's what you do, and it's fun. And For you sure. don't have to get a job yet. Not <laughs> yet, know? anyway. Um, how was it? How was your so, so I never... So I, my, uh, initially, I was an advertising major uh, okay. in college. Again, just because that sounded like something that sounds might like be, a grown-up gig might be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, an, sure. I'm an ad guy. Yeah. Um. And so I, uh, I think I took the first intro class, and then the second class was when it got difficult, uh-huh. and they weeded out the students who weren't going to be the ad man. And Is I, that when you made the? And RTF? I dropped that. And you, and and eventually it was you know I I really liked to watch TV and movies, and I liked music, <laughs> and it was like oh well, this sounds kind of fun and easy. What if I could do this for and a living? Again, I was yeah. Never extremely passionate. The RTF program has actually changed quite a bit since I was oh, in school. Um, it was very conceptual when I was there. There wasn't a lot of hands-on training, so I didn't learn how to make movies. Really. Oh, really, I learned how to watch movies and write about them, which was you know, which I really enjoyed. Can you can you take me back because I'm a huge I love love movies. Somehow it's what's punctuated my life. But what was was there something movie-wise that's kind of particularly influential at that time? We're talking probably mid '90s, right? Mid to late '90s. Yeah, I mean, you know, I loved all the Scorsese stuff from that yeah. time. And, oh, yeah. you know, the, the movies that anybody, I imagine, were about the same age. You yeah, know, probably. The, Good the thing, fellas. The things, that, things that we grew up with. And, you yeah. know, and so that was really neat to me to, to uh, you know, take this. Okay, I always know I love movies, but now I can actually watch them and write about them and, and, earn, and earn, about a, and earn it, a degree. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 yeah, and critical. And we learned a lot of concepts about how movies are made but all by watching there wasn't a whole lot of hands-on so where did that i mean training. you know so i think the year after i graduated from ut the department got a whole lot totally of money changed. and they completely overhauled the department did, you, you like, did your folks were they they're pretty supportive of like whatever you pretty supportive yeah. i think they were probably in the same mindset of like well <laughs> yeah. if he's you know at least he's in college yeah he's, he's in college that's what you do that's um, that is what you do right so you and and you know it was it was a different world. I think a college degree then meant more than it does now, probably. I think so. But even then, there was still that. You yeah. Know, what's, so what, what's this really mean? But when you get out, though, what are you thinking? Like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. What is that thing? So I finished school in four four and a half years. <laughs> That's um, good. That's not yeah, bad. Yeah. But not not bad. I got six six and a half yeah, years. Yeah, be me, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was like four four and a half colleges. Yeah. There you go. Fair <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Um, See, but, there, but college is no indicator of an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. Just for the record, yeah. right? Absolutely, it's not. True. Yeah. So you, my, I'm the perfect example. <laughs> I, I did it, but I had no no idea of what I was going to do with it. Yeah. Um. So you know, I worked in film a little bit here in town. Oh, shit. Again, the film industry is nothing like it is it's here in now, town yeah. now. It's a very small world. Um. But you know, some freelance gigs. I, uh, I I had interned at Austin Music Network. If you if you guys have yeah, been around long I enough was, to remember, uh, yeah, it was Austin, Austin Music, Music Network. Me too. So, yeah, yeah it's a, we did a so, live performance at AMN. So again, which you know consisted of sitting in a, a temporary building behind the Thread Guild, the old right. Thread yeah. Guilds yeah, on, yeah, yeah. on North Lamar, yeah. and, and switching out videotapes. You know, it's like it's maybe good, it's good. like you put you put on a full like a long format, full thirty minute. So if you want to go inside and get a snack or <laughs> take a smoke break. Uh, like a Zappa video. I'm good so, for so again, you know, the continuing with the, you know, I'm doing these things, but not certainly not learning anything. There certainly wasn't a long-term plan plan or a long-term, you know, 
career goal in yeah or anything viable in analog video cassettes well <laughs> so, some for some perhaps but sure. yeah for the most part sure so when, um, when did you get into brewing then i can't imagine I'm, I'm just waiting to see how do you go from rtf major working at amm amn to doing brewing so so i did a, so this that was one example of my many many things i did i worked in i worked in retail i worked in bars i You're worked like in Fletch. you know did, did lots did, like, did lots of did lots of things <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah a, re- a true renaissance <laughs> man <laughs> Um, none of them for very long and, yeah. uh, and none of them very well. Um, a true Renaissance man. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Fair enough. Jack of all trades, master of absolutely nothing. Yeah, well, that's, that's something we were talking the other day about feeling like old men and, yeah. you know, it's, that's something I say about kids. Now they have access to so much information. They don't yeah. know a damn thing. <laughs> and they could, they could be experts in anything right. if they wanted to, but right. it's like, well, but I'm going to go to the next thing. Yeah, real quick. Exactly. Were you doing brewing at home? Were so, you doing- so, so no, never really. So I, uh, you know, started working in bars and I was, and I was always into music and mm. I just kind of didn't know what I wanted. Eventually I th- think I realized I, hey, I've got to, I've got to open my own business and do, do something really? on my own. So I toyed with a lot of ideas. Eventually it got in my head that I should open a, you know, a bar and music venue. Cause I like those Sounds things. Good. I like, I like drinking, music I like in. drinking, I That's like perfect. going to see shows <laughs> and then, and, and you know, that seemed like the right thing. So I looked into into lots of different things um, and had lots of ideas. And ultimately, I landed upon Lovejoy. So I got to know Chip, who was the owner who'd opened it in 1994. And wow. he was kind of a similar situation to Donna that, that Joel was talking about with Little City, where he would just burnt out and ready to ready to turn it over. Yeah. But it also was really meaningful to him. And he didn't want somebody to come in and turn yeah, it turn it into a six-street dance torch. club. For sure. Um, for sure. Where was, and I was here then, but where was Lovejoy's? Lovejoy's was on Netches Street between six and seven. Okay, so okay. so on on Six Street, back, right? Yeah, totally back. You know, and kind of before there were bars all over town. Yeah, you know, kind of when you had to go downtown to go out. Sure. Um, and you and so the, the, I from what I read in your bio, <laughs> this piqued some interest interest in brewing. So yeah, and, so so when I took over, you know, I had always enjoyed beer at the time. I mean, high end beer was imports. You yeah. know, it was. If you weren't drinking shitty beer, you were drinking a Heineken or a Stella, and right, those right, were considered. Um, you know, I remember at Crown and Anchor for years, you'd go and it'd be the high, medium, low as how they high, would, medium, low. Yeah, was, I guess I went the wrong way. <laughs> Nobody can see that on the podcast yeah. anyway. Um, but you know, imports were king, and it was basically this: uh, "Hey, we're shit here in America, but they do it really well." in yeah. you know, in Europe where they've been doing it for centuries. So is that um, kind of like? When do you get in and, and reverse and, engineer it and start trying to? Think and so and so, right when I got into Lovejoy's, this was two thousand six. So it was kind of it was a little bit further after the first wave of Austin mm-hmm. breweries, you know, when Real Ale and Live Oak and those guys started. Right, right. Um, but in the nineties, there were a bunch of breweries open that failed because I think it was just a little bit too early. It was, yeah. Um, and so two thousand six, you know, is when things were kind of starting to happen. There was a lot of, you know, I think the top selling micro brands or what later became known as craft brands mm. and i don't know what the term is now they mm. they change fairly <laughs> often were uh you know fat fat tire from new belgium oh, yeah. and, and yeah. sierra nevada pale yeah. ale those which those were ones. i think the ones that broke it wide open and, you know, fireman we were, number four and we were selling a ton of those um you know and yeah fireman's four and a couple of the local That's what ones. i always remember like but then half the wall was still you know newcastle and 
you know, Bass and Amstel Light and all of these things that were right. still considered, Seven you know. So, <laughs> um, but it is, I mean, it's, it's got to start somewhere. You um, know? Absolutely. So, no, that's, that's what gave people a taste for something different. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it was kind of right in there. And we brewed at Lovejoy's as well. So we had a little oh, four, cool. four-barrel brewing system in okay. the back. We used to call it Gorilla Brewing. It was very, very uh, budget and small scale. Yeah. Um, you know, it had to be done by the time we opened or there was no room for the bartender to walk behind the bar oh, and man. get to their station. Was it um, fun for you? getting your hand And it was really fun. So, yeah. you know, I, I'd always been into beer and it was really emerging at the time and it was kind of the perfect time. And yeah. I also had access to this little brewing system, which, you know, essentially so was bad. a glorified homebrew system. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, but you get to serve it to people, right? Which is kind absolutely. of nice because it's absolutely. like immediate gratification and another thing that i thought was really cool about that was in the style of gorilla brewing is that the few other places in town i think joel mentioned the copper tank earlier Mm -hmm. yeah a few other places you know were these big shrines to the big copper tank and the big glass window and and uh and this kind of put it in perspective that like hey anybody can do this you don't have to yeah you you totally the one great thing about whatever this craft movement has been is that it has disambiguated the details of doing any of this stuff. Because yep. yeah. doing it in a couple liters is the same as doing it larger, except it's larger, right? Sure. So, like, if you understand how to do it on, like, a lembic still, if you talk about distilling, like, you can do it on a bigger still. It's really a very cool thing. So going back, actually, to your point about, like, there's so much information around. Kids can get all this information about this and this, but they don't do anything with it. At least it's a great equalizer because if you want to do something with all this information, you can learn how to do any of this. Just totally exactly cool, you know it's a great time yep. to exist in that sense yep so did did you start then thinking like oh, i actually have a passion for developing beers and mixing things so, up? so i did so you know be, between that and between this growing beer movement in austin yeah. where you know i said it started out where we had i think live oak and real ale i think independence had probably just opened oh, yeah, around yeah, that time yeah. um but you know there were three breweries in the austin area and so of course the mindset was any local brewer who opens up, we have a space on the wall. I think we had two dozen beers. Um, Lovejoy's also didn't sell a single drop of Bud Miller or Coors from day one in oh, 1994 amazing. until yeah, its closing, which at the time was totally radical. Yeah, huge thing. <laughs> huge fucking... Now it's like, oh, well, everybody's yeah. like doing it then. That's really yeah, big So deal. what do you have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they make other um, beers? What are you talking about? And so, yeah, so it was kind of just that time of things emerging, and it was like, okay, we have all these great local brewers getting yeah. in yeah anybody who comes and opens a brewery we've got a spot on the wall for you and and it just escalated so quickly to the point and how that, did it trans- transition into the south austin brewery bit so so ultimately i closed love joyce yeah. um and my decision on what i wanted to do was do i want to open another bar do i want to continue this or do i want to um continue on on the beer side of right, things right. um and i kind of decided that i wanted to take a more production manufacturing side approach to beer as opposed to you know being 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 up being up all being up all night for the rest of my life because you can work you know you can work early days making beer you can make beer whenever sure doesn't matter Um, anybody else right yeah and you know it's we we had a few people approach us about doing new things with love joys opening in different locations and Mm -hmm. ultimately it all seemed like it'd be convoluted no matter what we did yeah and also i was tired you know not not that it was you know, I, I understood Chip's point of burnout on it. You know, he'd yeah. done it for 12 years. I'd only done it for six and a half, seven years. But it was still this this lifestyle is not necessarily sustainable for oh, yeah. forever. 
Okay, um, like it was a really great time in my life and really fun. Yeah. But when it stops being fun is when it's going to be a real problem. So let's just <laughs> let's let's go let's go out on top while we're for some reason I'm a lot grayer than I used to be. Um, what the fuck is yeah, that? <laughs> that happened quickly. <laughs> so when when did you kind of part? Because did you found or work for South Austin Brewery? I did not. So I went. So when I was unemployed, I went to a lot of movies. Briefly, I hadn't been in like movies that. in That's years. Good. I did yeah. a lot of like. Harken back to the day. I did a lot of like the first showing of the day, 11 yeah, a.m. Yeah. by myself. That's the best time to go to the That's movies. That's totally good time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, eventually it's, okay, I've got to get a job. And I, you know, just shot emails out to every brewer in town. A lot yeah. of people that I knew, a lot of people that I didn't. Um, Jordan Weeks, who'd founded South Austin Brewery shortly before. He and I had met a few times. We weren't, didn't know each other well, but he said come in for an interview. And yeah. We hit it off and drank lots of beers and and I uh, took to a job. A foundation. I took right? a job as an assistant brewer for him. That's um, so cool. Yeah. What year was this when you started? This was in 2012, I believe. Okay, okay. So how long? So were just you a down? few years ago. But still, like, it seemed seemingly the next perfect, perfectly the next chapter for for this whole thing. So you're in Correct. hospitality, you're brewing, and you're like, well, I kind of want to not die from drinking so i'm gonna go work at a brewery which yeah. is counterintuitive mind you sure. but, but sure. At least you... Fair, fair enough but <laughs> no this was a huge <laughs> step back yeah, yeah. It, it's it's tough for it was it ever being surrounded that much by that much beer is it ever kind of like man i don't know if i could keep doing this in the bar situation or in a brewing situation which is just a direct conduit to you know you know I, I luckily always had a filter and they yeah. went not that I knew before it was too much, but knew when it was too much. <laughs> um, you know, and that kind of saved my ass in the bar business a lot too. I knew when it was time to That's walk, a good walk talent, away, man. get get in, get in the cab, and go home. Not a lot of people have that talent. Um, so, it, how is that transition now? Because we understand brewing, because I, I understand mashing the whole piece of it, and it, again, very analogous and very running in parallel to roasting coffee. Why? I mean, let me be frank. Why? Why you? You're a brewer. Why would you? Why would you be the? Fair enough, Joel. Joel, Joel, Joel asked me the same question. I I asked him the same question. Yeah, I'll let. So um, so is it the beard? Because the beard helps. I think it does. It, yeah. it kind of legitimizes. Right? Yeah. Um. So I uh I parted ways with South Austin in June last summer. Uh-huh. Um, and again, kind of bounced around, figuring out the next move. What brewery do I want to work for? And uh, Joel actually contacted me because they were starting to put together a cold brew program for oh, little wow. for Little City. Um, the, but Little City at this point's a brand, right? A retail yeah. brand. Little, yeah. No, yeah, we don't have no coffee shops, but the coffee roasting business. And yeah, I wanted to get. I had resisted the iced coffee thing for quite a while. Why is that? Because you don't get the nuances per se with uh, with iced coffee. So before I did the whole coffee. Mm. Go, going to Brazil thing, I, I we had looked at doing iced coffee. Okay. And I, I researched that I went down to Mission, Texas, to where they were making sweet leaf tea at the time, and mm. looked at doing it on a, on a large scale. And I, I didn't want to get away from sourcing coffee. What interested me about coffee was going to the growers, learning how to cup coffee, taste coffees, yeah. learning about the processing, learning how to import it. You know that 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 was interesting. That was the the fun part mm-hmm. to to just do a iced coffee where you're cracking open a can it didn't you know that's how i viewed it it didn't seem to be that interesting and i i kind of thought he who gets into iced coffee gets out of 
roasted regular coffee. Regular wow. coffee. Interesting. Okay. Um, so that's kind of one of the things we have now with Little City is that we've we're a coffee company that's going to do iced coffee as one of the offerings. Interesting. Because it's very pop. I mean, you see chameleon bubbling up. There's the the blue label too. There's just a lot of cold cold brewed coffees yep. coming up. Yeah. A, I mean, the market's asking for it. You know. And I think I think Jill's concern, like he was saying, is that at what point do you lose focus and just become a cold coffee company? Yeah. So a couple that you mentioned, that's primarily what they do. And I think Chameleon started as a as a cold coffee yeah, company. Yeah, high So that's, that was their ones. intention from day one. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, we wanted, you know, last, I just got in from Brazil on where the, I don't know what day it is, on Friday, Saturday. But, <laughs> Rock but, and roll lifestyle, Joel, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Too much of it in my younger days. But the, uh, but that's what I wanted, to, yeah. to go to the farms yeah. and work with the growers and, and uh yeah, but anyway, and you know, one thing that that probably was apparent in what he said, but Eric was a, a is a hell of a brewer. Yeah, he does a, even when he was at South Austin, he did a really good job there, and then his side projects there were just phenomenal. You know, he would have his little little homebrew setup of right, some right, of right. The, some of the stuff they used to do. So that was when I reached out to him because I, said, I thought, okay, we're gonna let's do this. Let's make this one of our offerings, but mm-hmm. I want to do it really well like if you're going to do it do it and make it a really quality product right yeah there's no other reason to do it yeah yeah if you're not gonna that's kind of you know the one constant besides i guess past failures and all my adventures was (laughs) you know but a lot of times i would just quit because i realized that wasn't going to be the best at it right and then sometimes that's like do you want to put out lots of people do this in the booze industry lots of my peers do you want to put out five products that are all okay they yeah. want to put out one product that's fucking incredible. Yeah. Your call. But at the end of the day, I think we both agree putting out something exceptional is far better than putting out four right. things that are just okay. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a noble existence, right? Yeah. Like you can that you were talking about access to information nowadays. Like it's easy, especially once you travel, you, you realize in the United States it's really easy to make a living here. Yeah. Like you can you can be a server, you can bag groceries, you can do many things and you got a living. Yeah. Um, and you're at a point where why not choose, I mean, of our generation, why not choose something that you love and do it well? Right. Um, if you have that opportunity, there's nothing, there's no guilt in that. Um, so that's, and you were talking about, uh, he was talking about Lovejoy is kind of the, uh, the gorilla brewing. Yeah. And that's one thing with, with, that I always loved about Little City. Little City had back in the day, and, you know, we still have, like, this, it was damn good coffee. I was, yeah. I was really impressed, and, and it wasn't all, um, a lot of the coffee industry became about the, um, the, the show and the condescending to, I'm sure in the, in the bar yeah, business you similar. face the, the yeah. same thing, and it's just, it became all about the, the, the uh, kind of talking down to your own customer, right. and the, the, what I want, what we're doing with Little City is, is the, you know, and with Lovejoy is it's, you have just an incredible product, but you don't need to. You have all of the information that backs it. Yeah. You know, like the the cold brew product that we have. You know, we have a guy that spent years and is you know was a well known is a well known personality in the brewing industry here yeah, in yeah, Austin, yeah. doing the iced coffee. So you got all of that, but you don't even you don't even say it. You know, it's you don't like, have to. You just it, it's in the product. Yeah, you know, exactly. Kind of like with a songwriter, you know, you're, you're a musician. Absolutely. You start yeah. having to explain your songs. There's probably something, there's something wrong. wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What what is this about? What's an even flow? Yeah. What's Jeremy? Who's Jeremy? Right. Like I'm just gonna pearl jam rip. 
Just for yeah, the sake yeah, of it. Right? it. <laughs> See, no one else would have got so it. So that would have really been that would have been a better uh, you could replace Queens of the Stone Age with, <laughs> yeah. with, with Pearl Jam in, Pearl. The, in the All earlier right, yes. discussion. It's, that would have been it's more, a great point. More Thank you so much. <laughs> so so I'm I'm so man like my senses are titillated. You know you have Eric's brewing. He's kind of roasting this coffee. You want to keep things honest and very, very connected to the terroir. So tell me, what are the, the products you guys have out now? So you get a little city label. Yeah, so we, have, we still have the Casa Brazil brands. Okay. So with both companies, uh, so with Casa Brazil, it, 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 kind of the, the buzz thing in coffee was direct trade, mm-hmm. where you go to the growers and you work directly with the growers. And it's not a regulated term, so it can mean really anything to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but one cool thing that we've done in Brazil that we're doing with Little City is uh, we, we have an operation. with uh, We have transparency with the growers. And transparency these days is a Google Doc. Wow. And so with the growers that we work with, we have a Google Doc where we share cost, margin. How, you know, what's, the, what's the maritime freight? What's right, the insurance right. we pay on that? What's the margin uh, that Central Market wants? What's the margin that we need at Casa Brazil? Yeah. Uh, what's all, all of that so, so that they can see it and in exchange for that. And we, we pay top dollar. We pay, um, you know, brag about how much we pay. No, we, yeah. we pay them, you know, it, it, it's because they deserve it. It's not because we're paying the growers because the, it's a charity. Right. They produce damn good coffee. So and you're then we go there. for damn good coffee. And we pay them for damn good coffee. And in, in exchange for the transparency, we get right of first refusal. Oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah, so we can go to like Recreo, the, this Opus Co-op. There's another grower from Espírito Santo, different places in Brazil, mm-hmm. and we, we propose this to them. And they've, you know, over the over 10 years now of doing this, we've been able to find some of the best growers. And uh, yeah, I, I, wow. I can, you know, say with confidence we have some of the best Brazilian coffee. That's amazing. Um, and so uh, with Little City, so we have the micro lots, which are unique uh, unique lots on a farm. So on a coffee plantation, a coffee farm, mm-hmm. um, you have you have parts of the farm that are higher altitudes or cooler temperatures, mm-hmm. and, or they have a certain cultivar um, or whatever the the mineral content of the soil. You have micro lots that produce higher quality coffee. So the idea is that you separate out the the harvest from those all the way through. And uh, you so when you buy, for example, Recreo, we buy like their Urubu lot. Urubu is a piece of the or is a, is a lot on the farm okay okay um so you buy it that way micro lots is what they're called so we have that and then we have kind of the, the blends that are uh those change you're buying the seasonality you're buying the terroir with yeah. the micro lots um and, and i i was skeptical of of that kind of thing i was skeptical of like the scoring system that we use and a lot of things in the industry but after doing it for a while and, it's and different right it, yeah it, there's you know if you if you don't want to if if if, if a lot of people don't want coffee to be fancy, mm-hmm. and that's that's fine. You don't have to go to the micro lots if you want. So the idea is that we have the blends, which are just really high quality. They're actually made of, of a large part of micro lots, yeah. um, but they're consistent in the flavor profile, and they're more approachable. And the same thing with Little City. So um, with the coffee industry now, if you want to get the good coffee, uh, you have to go to source. You have to. Uh, I always equate the local, you know, for example, coffee roasters pop up left and right, mm-hmm. and the, the the standard is for you to call one of the you know, dozen green coffee importers and say, "Hey, Mitch, can you send me your best Tanzanian Peaberry?" And then Mitch will send you his Tanzanian Peaberry that he's selling to 
15 other roasters okay and you're going to roast it and say i have the best tanzanian pea berry so it's kind of like a carousel with the same wooden horses and the yeah, roast yeah. and the roasters are just jumping on different horses and saying hey look at me i have the best coffee so what where the industry is gone is if you want the best coffee you've got to go to source and make the relationships kind of like what we did in brazil so we have the okay. first pickings and then everyone else can come in and that's not to say that they're not going to get good coffee no for sure but, but we get what we first, want like if you refuse it, right, then then that means it's a lesser batch. It's a lesser batch, or yeah. at least I think so, right? Yeah. No, but <laughs> that's the best part. you're not willing to pay the agreed upon price yeah. for yeah. the quality. Which, unfo- unfortunately, unfortunately yeah, you know, like, uh, that's the one part of being passionate about co- loving coffee is yeah. if you taste a good coffee, basically whatever price they say, you know. You and and Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Sold. How much is it? Uh, well, it's no different in the uh, mezcal world. Yeah. It's like, Damn it! This is good. I'm not gonna. I, I'm just gonna pay whatever I gotta. Yeah. Pay. So let's talk. Let's talk real quick about the the bottle that we kind of selected as a group. And we've killed it. I wish there was more. I feel like I'm still sipping, and you guys are have expired. But we've got a Havana Club Maestro Selection, which is 45. percent How do you guys feel about the Havana Club? It's not something you can really get in the states. How do you, delicious. Thought it was very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Is this as, a good? As you see, I was able to. <laughs> Yeah. Did you I, even breathe either? I, I, hate, like I hated it, back? obviously. <laughs> it's good. Maybe. Maybe we'll have this here soon, right? I hope so. Yeah, I know they're working on it. But the talk about 700 or 70 centiliter bottles. They've got to convert to 750s. There's a couple things that they have to do. Oh, the, the, to that's regulated the size? Yeah, for, you can't do a 70. Uh, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about coffee. Is it, you have an industry in Puerto Rico and Hawaii. Yeah. But there's it actually there's more taxes I pay in exporting the coffee from Brazil than I pay importing in the United States. No kidding. Yeah, there's a standard import fee of uh, like a third of a percent or something you pay. Really? But it's yeah, it's really easy to import it's inc- coffee. It's incredible. And so it looks like so you guys have the standard labels that you offer, but it looks like you, Eric, you brought over some of the cold brew. Is that right? Or nitroed? I did. It's it's in your fridge yeah. downstairs. So no, I keep so, thinking about it. I so so currently we're just that. offering it on draft. Okay. Um, again, we're not. We don't have an exact plan for where it's going to go. It's something that you know I came in to play around with and yeah. see what we could figure out. So we're really happy with the product. Um, yeah, but playing like around a with clever name for so uh, would retail ultimately be six pack cans like that. I don't know. Yeah. You know, we're looking at it right now. Um, since, as long as we can keep the quality. And, yeah. and I was happy. Like, I, I they had, because I'm living in Brazil doing the master's degree now. I'm doing oh, a master's degree. Wait, wait, wait. wait. In, in what now? In coffee. There's, they have a degree there for it's it. Agricultural engineering. But, uh, yeah, they have a. I'm, Agronomy? Uh, is that what you called it? Agricultural engineering. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's different. There's a, uh, yeah, it, it's basically kind of an agronomy esque degree you learn how to design equipment but it's in uh, the the guy the textbook that i, I translated a textbook yeah, on yeah. coffee processing from portuguese to english and that professor the opportunity arose to go study with him and uh, kind of a long-term well b- both kind of a long-term vision of the company if, if when i first decided i wanted to import coffee yeah the, the first thought is i, I don't want to get screwed i want to make sure i know what i'm buying and that i'm buying value and how sure. to identify value and so, yeah, it's, it's how do you how you process coffee? How does how does the processing affect the flavor? I got really into it. Yeah, um, yeah. Your wife's still with you? She is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
the, the poor woman. She's uh, she's great. She's she's Brazilian, so she actually. All right, luckily it was her her home where you. Yeah, were. It, yeah, it, yeah, it was Brazil. You know, I got uh, there's an opportunity to go to Colombia to work with the Colombian Federation, do an internship there. Oh wow! That I have, yeah, but th- that's not as appealing. I don't think uh, <laughs> to her or Myanmar. So we, I, I got. Uh, it's a good combination. So I, I got I, I spent a long time cupping and taste. Could uh-huh. we call it tasting? Sure, sure. So that was kind of my first area that I really got into. And um, you know, if, I, I guess whatever I've done, I, I kind of do it a hundred hundred percent. That's good. Yeah, yeah. It's, why it's why good do it any bad. less, right? But but I got into yeah yeah I got into cupping and the tasting and it did that and I got pretty good at it. I mean. You know, like I was talking about before, guitar, not so good at. Yeah. Soccer, good at. Certain things in life, you just... Acting? Re- the, acting, <laughs> awful. Awful. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Keanu Reeves, you know, is, oh, come is, on. is like... And a career, De Niro. A career ending in wow. Korean coffee is probably... <laughs> yeah. But um, the, uh, the, then, then I got into the post-harvest. So it's kind of a, a, a nice niche yeah. that I've... I've uh, come to occupy i guess or, or it's taken me so it's led to some pretty cool gigs like that's one um that me myanmar mm-hmm. was a, a a closed country for 50 years and now they're just starting to to open up um and they have the U, the u.s government uh, is investing in myanmar so usually wow. the u.s government gets uh flack for their imperialism right and, and meddling in i've heard about affairs. that yeah, yeah imperialism yeah that's right but this is actually really been like good. Uh, Obama went over there twice, and he did. He they the, they decided that the United States was going to invest in, in in agriculture in Myanmar. That that was a, a potential for them to, to to grow and to become more stable. And, and a stable country is more likely to uh, to be to maintain the democracy. So the three areas they're investing in are soy, vegetables, and coffee. And wow. so they contacted the Coffee Quality Institute, which is here in the in the U.S., and then they contacted me. So it was cool. I got to go over there and volunteer. And so you are you the guy now for coffee? No, no. Are you no. sure? Yeah, no, no. You seem like the guy. Not the guy. <laughs> Not the guy. Um, a guy. A guy. <laughs> that, that guy. Not the guy. The guy. The guy I study under is the guy. The guy. Okay. Yeah. But um, that's good. You're at least hanging out with the guy. Hanging out with the guy. Um, but uh, yeah, and then the, there's some other projects. But it's 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 a good gig, and that was really interesting. You know, with Myanmar, they uh, a lot of the plantations were planted by the British before the Second World War, and they oh, haven't shit. really been touched wow. since then. So you have, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And it was yeah. a closed country. They're very sweet, kind people. They have kind of that the integrity that they have in Japan, where you mm-hmm. can leave your wallet on on the table and walk away, and come yeah. back an hour later, and your wallet's still there. Um, is that so? Is it fair to say that maybe that's a project in in the future that you'd like to import? So, so we're trying for with you know the logistics are, are, are we'll see. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna try with Little City to to bring it in. So we'll if we can bring it in. Um, you know, it's great. It's in. It's great to support. It's really good coffee. Yeah. Um. So bring that in for Little City, and then so that's one thing too. Like Emily, who is our director of coffee, mm-hmm. she's uh incredible. She's got 18 years experience in coffee. Wow. Um, it's it's a great team. You know, one thing that going to Brazil helped a lot. You know, I hate the four hour work week. I hate that idea. Yeah, yeah. But the one a point that is legitimate in that is 
when you when you're here you think about just hiring people to kind of facilitate things then when you go away you're like shit i gotta get somebody that's really good right so yeah. we've got uh ian is with the the general manager is incredible mm -hmm. emily's really good our uh head roaster is eric Detablon, who's excellent yeah amazing amazing like yeah um and then we when we wanted to do brewing it there was a fortuitous uh collaboration just yeah, yeah perfectly and he did you know and you know, it's, it's it's of course i'm I, I i can be accused of bias but i would never lie about coffee yeah you know and kind of i'm sure you're the same i wouldn't ever i can't lie about booze and if it doesn't taste do good it. yeah too uh, sacred yeah dude cannot tell, uh, it sucks i gotta i gotta <laughs> say something yeah like I I, a couple texts off i feel bad every now and again i'm like this batch didn't turn out good man. yeah you've got to be you, you have don't, to yeah you've got to be man there's, there's things that are more important than than, than money and marketing absolutely and but but the the job that he did on the cold brew and on the draft it's it's phenomenal can't wait it's it's a really good too. product it's it's really nice and especially with brazilian coffee brazilian coffee is lower in acidity it's fuller bodied and mm -hmm. it's sweet when done well and it makes for a really nice cold brew i and think I'm, I'm no i'm really excited it tastes i imagine it's creamy and delicious balanced not too acidic like you said yeah but so the the, the last question i have for you guys is a lot of people ask master distillers of bourbon for example how do you drink your bourbon? And like a lot of guys are like, just drink it however the fuck you want. Okay, get up, leave me alone, right? <laughs> but, but so, Joel, for you, what is the perfect preparation for a cup of coffee? For you? For me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, the, nowadays there's so many ways to do it, but I just like a, there's a, a Kalita pour over, a pour over with uh -huh. a paper filter. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, what yeah. kind of, like Hot big coffee. cup? Didn't matter? Big right. cup, small cup? I do I do about what eight 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 to ten ounce cup, six wow. percent uh, so six percent ratio or six point two five ratio. Totally black. Yeah, yeah, always yeah. black. Um, yeah, that's that sounds good. Yeah, because it's kind of a, a purity thing with yeah. coffee. If you if you dilute it too much, you don't get the taste of the farm. See, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Bourbon just keeps in my head. What about you, Eric? Um, your very similar, and you know one of getting to know joel early i uh i went to his side of the up and down tour when he was talking about what we used to do together yeah one of the things that really struck me in the brewing portion i think it was uh diego his name who the barista from brazil who who taught one of the classes kyle was that his name i can't remember um he had a brazilian barista oh, oh rafael 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 yes rafael. yeah um who who I think it was either a V60 or a Kalita uh -huh. pour over, and uh, one of the micro lots was in Recreo that we roast. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, I guess, kind of become the, the signature micro lot kind of for Costa Brazil. Is that fair to say? Yeah, um, it's a good one. It's, 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 a, it's a good one, but it was one of the best cups of coffee I'd ever had, you know. Really? And, then, and then getting, you know, to talk more with Joel and other people in coffee, I started to realize the. Uh, consistency and and controlling every factor you can so, yeah so it's a very simple process you're pouring water through coffee through a paper filter into a cup but there's so many different factors that you can before control that, right? control along so, the way yeah well before that obviously but also even in the brewing it's yeah you know i'd, I'd never thought to get a scale and weigh the coffee every time you know you're we're so used to volume you take right, a scoop right, right. and you scoop it in your filter but coffee has different density so that and your water temperature and if you can control all of these 
factors, yeah. you know, the, the very simple aspect of a cup of coffee can become an obsession yeah. to, to try to make. So something as simple as making, you know, one cup of filtered coffee right. becomes an everyday ritual to like, how do, <laughs> how do I, how do I do better? Every yeah. day. And thus the world is impacted and so, and so, yeah, by so coffee. That's, so that's, you know. Well, I love it, man. And I, I really, let's go try, I want to try that cold brew. Let's do it. Yeah, right. So. Joel, Eric, thanks so much for joining yeah, me. Again. Thanks for having thanks, us. Thanks for having us. It's been brilliant. Thanks for sharing the rum and talking coffee. Thank you for sharing <laughs> you the know, rum. I don't Thank want to you. fall asleep. I just want to drink some coffee now. So thanks. Hey, thanks. Let's, thanks. Do, let's do that. Brilliant. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, there we have it. What do you guys think? You guys want a nice cup of Brazilian coffee? It is amazing coffee, and it pays homage to what is a fallen hero of the coffee scene at one point in Austin, Texas, little city. I, you know, it's a great opportunity to learn more about coffee, which I'm a little vague on, but Joel obviously has this massive passion for good flavors, for good coffee, for the people and for the culture of Brazil and enlisting Eric to help with maybe some of the innovation, maybe with some of the R&D and obviously with some of the roasting. I've got such an interesting serendipitous and symbiotic relationship. It's a very wonderful, creative match. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. I hope that no matter how you're taking your coffee in the morning, whether you're thinking about buying a French press or thinking about taking that nice, well-deserved long vacation in Brazil, please keep thinking.